You know, things change very quickly in the modern day with all of our technology and all of these new things constantly in our faces. Scientists tell us that from the beginning that living organisms constantly change, so it's nothing new. If our bodies don't constantly exchange air, for example, and accept nutrition, we just simply die. Sometimes the need of to spiritually adapt is necessary for our growth and even the survival of the church. Extraordinary change was happening in the first century church, which is what our first reading is about today. The reading shows us when and where these difficult changes were made, and most important, how they were made and how it served as an example for subsequent generations. It was 50 A.D., and a mess was brewing in Antioch. Oh boy, it was kind of like Thanksgiving dinner gone bad when too much wine is mixed with discussions about politics and out-of-town guests and relatives and everything just goes into, into trouble. Antioch was 300 miles north of Jerusalem where St. Stephen, the first deacon, in, uh, was martyred. And following his martyrdom, persecution broke out against Jesus' followers. And a small group of Jewish Christians got the heck out of Dodge, as we say, fleeing north to Antioch, the capital of Roman province of Syria. And they gained converts among the Gentiles. Antioch then became an important Christian hub, the launching pad for Paul and Barnabas in their missionary journeys. The Antioch church was composed mostly of Gentile Christian converts, And scripture reports that it was at Antioch that believers were first called Christians. So it was an important place. But here's the problem. These Gentile Christians really started to dismiss the obligation to practice any form of Judaism. So a crisis was brewing when Gentile Christians of Antioch and Jewish Christians from Jerusalem who preferred to remain a sect safely within Judaism... Any talk of disconnecting from their roots was crazy talk, as losing the connection to the temple meant losing relationships, social status, maybe even your livelihood. So when a group of Jewish Christians from Jerusalem visited Antioch, they were scandalized. Gentile Christians weren't following Jewish practice, and their harsh conclusion was these Gentile Christians weren't Christians at all. Meanwhile, The Gentile Christians in Antioch were furious at the assumption. They thought that Christians should separate from Judaism altogether. And further, a continued connection only served to weaken the Christian movement. To resolve the problem, Paul and Barnabas traveled south back to Jerusalem. Historians speculate, and we hear in our gospel today, that the apostles presided over the discussion, perhaps James or St. Peter. And it's significant that Paul and Barnabas recognized apostolic authority in this moment of crisis and the importance to be unified as one church. This tense moment in the early church is known as the Council of Jerusalem. To date, there have been 20 councils following throughout history, and each of them solved problems and answered questions using the template of this first council, the Council of Jerusalem. Having the respect of both Jewish and Gentile Christians, the fathers of that council 
prayed and debated and studied. The solution at the Jerusalem Council was a both and. The recognition of the need for clarification while at the same time maintaining continuity with the Jewish tradition. They decided that Christian converts would not have to follow the law of Moses and males would not have to be circumcised as a sign of the covenant. They would, however, be baptized as directed by Jesus himself and follow three prescriptions of the Mosaic law, three of 700, regarding abstinence from food that was sacrificed to idols and blood from strangled animals as blood was considered a God-given conduit of life. And finally, there was a prohibition against incest and other lewd sexual acts. Notice that even in the beginning, the council of Jerusalem did not innovate. Rather, they were called to clarify what the will of God was within the Judaic Christian tradition of the early church. It has been decided by the Holy Spirit and by ourselves, the council said, not to saddle Gentile Christians with any burden beyond what was necessary. In the end, by 72 AD, Christians were excommunicated from the temple and the dietary laws were dropped. Only incest remained banned and obviously for good reason. So the first century leaders insisted on the inclusion of the Holy Spirit in their deliberations as they discerned the non-negotiable tenets of the Christian faith versus what was what we call today window dressing. And for over 20 centuries, it's worked. Over time, settled truths have been built one on the other and a complete picture of what it means to be a Catholic and a Christian It's been given to us, what we find, for example, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. You know, as a priest, I wear this outside vestment called the chasuble, but underneath, I wear this thing called a stole that represents my responsibility as a priest for the truth and authority to teach and preach what the church professes to be revealed by God. Not what I want, what the church professes to be revealed by God. It's a great blessing to us as Catholics. But it's also difficult because, let's face it, we Catholics, we have a lot of opinions. Sometimes it's a simple question, like, for example, local rules about wedding attire that are based upon our beliefs about modesty or proper decorum in church. Others want to know why I won't allow divorced and remarried Catholics or Protestants to go to communion. I explain that liturgical guidelines about reception of Holy Communion are way above my pay grade and aren't negotiable for us moderns. We rely on the tradition that began, for example, with the writings of the Didache in the first century and St. Justin Martyr's writings on the Eucharist in the second century. In deference to a diversity of thought about, for example, who Jesus is, some Protestant denominations have abandoned the recitation of the creed. Meanwhile, in deference to our tradition, we meditate on the truth of the Apostles and Nicene Creed that does not allow us to define Jesus as we want. Like what is, like if Jesus is just a nice guy or a great teacher, but not maybe necessarily the Messiah and Lord. When we recite the creed, We need to be thoughtful about what we're saying and the implications of the belief that we are one holy Catholic and apostolic faith. 
Finally, many today want me to adopt societal dogmas regarding moral diversity and a moral penchant to live and let live. The church, by contrast, looks to Scripture again and the tradition, along with the guidance of the Holy Spirit on any number of moral questions in our day. This is why sometimes politicians and other public figures are taken to task by a growing number of bishops for calling themselves Catholic, but then creating their own moral code. Some are becoming more conformed to the world than to Jesus. And we all know the hot-button issues today, things like abortion, euthanasia, capital punishment, and the growing sexual confusion in our world, to name a few. You know, it's really hard to face the fact that God isn't interested in our opinions. Rather, we ask for the guidance of God through the councils of the church, the catechism and scripture, to determine what Jesus calls us to do in the modern world. As we know, many are straying in the modern day. Many are terribly confused, and they need and and deserve our encouragement, prayers, and faithfulness to return to Jesus, who reminds us today that he wants to give us peace, peace that a world cannot give. So let us pray, most especially today, for fidelity, fidelity that was begun in the Council of Jerusalem to the truths that Jesus has given to his church. And let us also pray that we will be humbly obedient to the will of our Father in heaven.